Hello, San Bonani. Welcome to Union Bible Institute's podcast channel. UPI has been developing Christ-like servant leaders who are committed to Christ and His Great Commission since 1942. We provide affordable, accredited, and personal theological education in both Isizulu and English. We hope you enjoyed the following chapel message, preached in English and translated into Isizulu. For more messages, visit our website at www.upi.ac.za or search for us at all digital platforms. Greet you all in Jesus' name. Uh, please allow me to speak with a mask this morning. My shield just broke as I was trying to put it on. <clears throat> Good to see all of you. So as you know, we've been doing it's a series through the book of First Timothy. We've had uh, two sermons so far. Last week, Wednesday, we were, we were challenged to think about our motives. What motivates us to do ministry? What motivated us to come to UBI to study? We saw from 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Paul was motivated by Jesus and the grace of God. On Friday, we were challenged by Dr. Murray to be people of prayer. Chapter 2 teaches us that a praying church is a powerful church. Paul says, pray for everyone so that our evangelistic ministry can be unhindered. This morning, from chapter 3, I'd like to take some time to think about who we are as persons and who we are as leaders. Who is qualified to lead and serve in the church? I think one thing you learn from chapter 3 is that who we are is more important than what we can do. So I think this is a good opportunity for all of us to do some introspection, to think about ourselves. So in this lesson, I want to just very quickly walk us through chapter 3 of First Timothy. So as we learn from uh, the sermon on chapter 1, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to continue the work of ministry. Paul now writes the letter to Timothy to give him instructions on how to fulfill this kind of ministry. So in chapter 3, Paul is giving Timothy instructions on how to choose overseers and deacons. Chapter 3 is clearly divided into three sections. Verse 1 to 7, we find qualifications for overseers. Chapter 8 to 13, we have qualifications for deacons. 
And then Paul closes verse 14 to 16 quite amazingly. First word explaining his reason for writing. And then by actually quoting part of what many people see as a early hymn. So I wonder if we can read it together. But just to save time, if I can ask someone to perhaps read it in Isi Zulu, and if you have English, you can just read it yourself, please. And then when, when we're done reading, if I could ask just anyone who would like to open in prayer for us, just to do that, please. Chapter 3, verse 1 to the end. Thank you very much. Anyone like to open in prayer for us this morning? Amen. Thank you. All right. So, how do you and I choose leaders today? What do we look for in people? I wonder if usually we, we look for people who are good preachers, 
They can move a crowd with their sermons. Or maybe people who are good singers. It's always good to have a pastor that can preach and sing. Right? But our passage this morning teaches us what we should be looking for in church And again, I think what, you, what you'll see and what I want to emphasize is that who we are is more important than what we can do. So there are three kinds of church workers that we can identify in the pastoral epistles. Paul mentions overseers, deacons, and elders. Now, there does seem to be some evidence that the office of overseer and elder was probably the same thing. If that's true, then maybe there were just two main officers or positions, those of the overseers and those of the deacons. But as you can clearly see in chapter 3, Paul is just focusing on these overseers and Deacons. So it seems to be that the overseers were those who were in charge of the leadership. They were in charge over the churches. Again, it seems like there wasn't just one person who was an overseer, but there could have been many overseers or elders in charge of the oversight. The deacons seem to have been more involved in more practical ministry. So let's start by looking at what, what are the qualifications for overseers in verses 1 to 7? So as I said, overseers were usually the ones responsible for the general oversight of the... They were the ones responsible for teaching and correcting error. Possibly also responsible for uh, managing or overseeing the finances and hospitality. But also certainly the ones who would represent the church in a sense to the outside world. So Paul lists actually about 11 things that we should be looking for in church leaders. Now I don't have time to explain every single uh, qualification. So I've decided to actually use the New Living Translation this morning. Because I think just by reading it, it does bring out the meaning quite nicely. Okay, so verses 1 to 3, we find 11 things that we should be looking for in church leaders. Paul starts in verse 1. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. 
Nchike kusuge la guvesu wani kolegi leli zeli tumumunte fisi skuda sombonisi unganelu msebenzo mwushe. So firstly you see that in a sense there's nothing wrong with desiring leadership positions. In fact it's an honorable position Paul I think that sometimes, actually a lot of the time, our own desires and God's calling go hand in hand. I think when God has called us to something, he gives us the desire for it, right? I don't think anyone becomes a pastor who doesn't actually want to be a pastor. So in that sense, there's nothing wrong with desiring positions of but Paul goes on in verses 2 onwards uh, to tell us what are the positive things we should look for in people who want to be leaders. So these are quite packed verses. In verse 2 we have seven positive things we should look for. He starts in verse 2 by saying, so a church leader or overseer must be a man whose life is above reproach. In other words, when we observe your life, there must be nothing bad that we can say about you. Paul says that's the kind of person we want in the Secondly, he must be a husband of one wife. Now, this is maybe a, a bit of a, a difficult one to understand here. People have applied this to all kind of marital situations, if I can say it that way. People have said, maybe you have to be married to be an overseer. Some have said, maybe, maybe it... it it touches on whether a person's been divorced and remarried, maybe they can't be uh, You know, husband of one wife, so you can't be married to more than one wife. I think I'll leave it to you and your church to work out those details. But I think Paul's point primarily here is he must be faithful to his wife. In other words, uh, there must be sexual integrity, sexual purity. Sexual purity in the person that we want to put in leadership. Thirdly, I'm going to read a few just very quickly. He must exercise self-control. Live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be hospitable. Now, in the early church in these times, it was important to show hospitality. Because there were people who may travel, and sometimes traveling could be very dangerous. And so it, it would be important for one to be willing to open up your home and invite guests in and share what you have with 
So when choosing leaders, we want people who are like that, who are willing to open themselves up and open their homes to I think it reminds us that the church is about people not about buildings. And that those who are leaders must be approachable. I think very often there's a big gap between the leaders and the congregation. No one can come near the pastor. You can't visit him. Yes. <laughs> sometimes, well, I, I know that sometimes when the church grows, uh, you can't see everyone at the same time, so you need to make an appointment. I understand that, but sometimes when pastors say, make an appointment, they mean, I don't have time to see you. I remember last year when I was doing an exit interview with one of the third year students. One of the questions I asked him was, what What's one thing you really appreciated about UBI? And the one thing he said was that the lecturers are open and approachable. He was amazed that lecturers, even the principal, would invite him to his house. Because where he comes from, the leaders are not approachable. So we want, want to find someone who is approachable. Then the, the seventh and last positive thing we should look for is that he must be able to teach. Now, very interestingly, if you notice here, this is the only technical or ministry requirement. All the other qualifications have to do with your character, the kind of person that you are. So I think it is important to know how to teach, but this shows me then that the emphasis is not so much on what you can do, but who you are. So who are you as a person? Are you someone who we, we can't say anything bad about you? Because you have such a good reputation. I think very often our reputation can affect how people accept our preaching and teaching. Sometimes you can be a powerful preacher and teacher, but if there are issues in your life, people stop listening In verse 3, Paul is now going to give us four things uh, that leaders should not do. So in verse 3, he says, he must not be a heavy drinker. He must not be violent, but gentle. 
He must not be quarrelsome, not argumentative, always looking for trouble. And he must not love money. Now, it's a biblical principle that leaders should get paid if you're in full-time There's nothing wrong with that. But is money the reason why you are in ministry? Because I think this passage teaches us that money can actually be a motivation for ministry. And Paul is saying, money should not be your motivation. I heard a story once about a man who went to a Bible college to prepare for a ministry. During one of the lessons, the professor asked, how many of you don't believe in God? How many of you don't believe in God? And to this man's surprise, hands went up. This is a Bible college where people are preparing for And people don't believe in God. So he was confused and afterwards he went up to one of them and said, I don't understand, aren't we preparing for ministry? And the answer he got was, there's a lot of money in this God business. So they don't believe in God, but they found an easy way to make money through preaching. Or what about the student at, a, at one college who couldn't pay his fees? So during the holiday, he goes and he pitches his tent. And after the holiday, he pays all his fees. Now you think about it. What, what, what was he preaching in that tent? Okay, not a heavy drinker, uh, not violent, not quarrelsome, We don't want someone like that in leadership. Then in verses 4 to 7, he gives us additional qualifications In verse 4, how's their home life? Verse 6, how's their spiritual maturity? Verse 7, what is their public reputation like? So verse 4 says, he must manage his own family well, Having, cho having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage, how can he take care of God's church? I think, I think this teaches us to get to know people. Everyone is holy and sanctified on Sunday morning. Come, you come with your suit, your tie, your Bible. You sing louder than everyone. But Paul is saying, what's the home life like? 
How does he manage his family at home? So you got to get to know people. Go home with them. Share a meal with them before you appoint them to leadership. Verse 6, are they spiritually mature? Paul says a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Now, I know new believers are usually the most passionate and the most zealous. They in every service, in every prayer meeting, intercession they there, choir they there, evangelism they there. But Paul is saying, don't put a new believer because they might become arrogant or proud and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. From scripture, the, the reason we give for Satan's fall is because of pride. Now, generally speaking, we know this is true with new believers. Sometimes, and I was a new believer too at one point. Sometimes new believers want everyone to agree with them. They easily angered if people disagree with them. And sometimes the influence, the authority, the power can get to our heads. I think, let's wait. It's good to be zealous. It's good to be passionate. But we, we want to wait for people to develop some kind of experience and maturity. Develop some wisdom over time. New believers get angry at everything that goes on. But mature believers know that sometimes you just overlook something. You don't have to get angry for everything. So, not a new believer. But we want someone with experience and maturity. Then verse 7. Uh, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Here we want to appoint people into leadership who have a good reputation. So if we were to, to take a walk in your neighborhood, and we were to ask, do you know so and so? What would the people tell us? Will they say, oh, that person, we, he loves Jesus, uh, he's a good person, everybody or will he say, hey, that one, you think he's a Christian, but you don't know what he does at home. If we were to ask your family, your friends, your colleagues what they think about you, what would they say? Because I think our reputation is important. Are there, are there people who don't come to your church because of you? 
It might sound harsh when I put it that way. In my experience over the years, I've had people tell me just that. They've said, so and so's in your church, I won't come there. He's singing, he's doing this, he's doing that, but you don't know how he is at home. When he leaves church, he's drinking with us on a Friday. Or he's doing exactly what we're doing after So how can I still come to the church? What do people outside the church think about you? I think that's why at UBI, when you apply, we ask for references. We know that you think you're a lovely person. And your, your mom thinks you're a lovely person. <laughs> and maybe Please you are a lovely person. <laughs> but we want to know what do others think about you? What do your neighbors, your colleagues, your leaders think about you? Okay, so how do you measure up to these qualifications? If we were to examine your life, is there anything bad that we could say about you? Are you approachable? Does money motivate you? How's your home life? How's your reputation? I think all these things are important. Many years ago now, as part of a church where for a long time we didn't have a pastor. And then a pastor was appointed and sent to the church. And immediately we recognized that the pastor was actually a very good preacher. And so... In the early stages, the church actually filled up. It became full. But over time, people started realizing that the, the pastor's character was not right. He was, he was a good preacher, but he was very quarrelsome sometimes. He was a good preacher, but many people suspected he was in it for the money. And many other things uh, as well. And so over time, the church started emptying out again. But you say, but wasn't he a good preacher? Why, why were people leaving? That's because... Who we are is more important than what we can do. I think people do test us or measure us based on our characters. Okay, then very quickly, verses 18 to 13, we find qualifications for deacons. Now, there's a lot of repetition here, so I, I may not comment on each But maybe to start by explaining the difference between the elders or the overseers and the deacons. So the overseers and elders seem to be mainly responsible for uh, 
you know, the oversight and the teaching and so on. This office of deacon seems to have been more a practical position They dealt more with the day-to-day uh, service or meeting the needs of the people. So deacons were probably involved like in visitation and helping the poor. We know from chapter 5 that the church looked after widows. And so it's likely that the deacons were responsible for those So one translation actually translates the word deacon as church helper. So we can think of overseers as the church leaders and the deacons as the church helpers. So in verse 8, Paul gives us some model qualifications of church helpers. In verse 8, he says, in the same way, deacons must be well respected. And have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. You see how there's some repetition here. This person must have a good reputation, not greedy for money, and not an alcoholic. But very interestingly, he says he must also be a person of integrity. One translation says, he mustn't be two-faced. You know what that means, where you're one person in public, but another person in private. So I think a, a, a test of a person's integrity is who you are when no one is looking. If you're the same as you are when no one's looking, as when everyone is looking, Paul is saying, that's the kind of person we want in leadership. Again, we see here that money can also be a motivation again, not greedy for money or dishonest gain. Since they were probably involved in helping the poor, distributing money, you don't want someone who's going to be stealing the money. Then in 9 to 10, Paul gives us some spiritual qualifications of church health. I think these, I'm just going to read through them. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Uh, before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. Maybe just to comment on verse 10 there. You see, Paul is encouraging us to not be too quick to appoint people to leadership positions. But examine them first, test them. I think sometimes pastors quickly put people in leadership because you don't want to lose them. Or maybe they, they, they give a lot of tithe. So, so 
so they don't leave the church you get them involved but you haven't tested the person yet. Paul is saying let them be tested first then verse 11 a bit of a controversial verse you'll, you'll see why uh, Paul says in the same way their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. Now, the reason I say it's a bit controversial is because we're not sure if, if this group of people are the wives of the deacons or if they are female deacons, deaconesses. So again, I think I'll leave it up to you to resolve that issue. But just to notice that uh, while the overseers were expected to be able to teach, there isn't that requirement for deacons. It was more practical ministry. So I think even if women are involved, I think it kind of makes sense because they could also be involved in the practical ministry of the church. But I'll, I'll leave it up to you to Okay, verse 12. Again, notice the person's home life, the home life of a church helper. A deacon must be faithful to his wife or the husband of one wife, and he must manage his children and household well. So again, you see there that the home life is important. Then in verse 13, Paul gives a sort of a promise of reward for those who serve well as deacons. So I think again, I'm just going to read this for you. It says, those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's bring this to a close. So who's qualified to lead and serve in the church? Paul says we want people who are blameless, who have a good reputation. We want people with integrity. People who are faithful to their wives, they are sexually pure. People who exercise self-control and are not alcoholics. We want people who are not motivated by money. We want people who are spiritually mature and are committed to the gospel of Christ. People who are able to teach and share the gospel with others. We want people who can manage their houses well. Because they represent the church. These are the kind of people we want to be our leaders. That's the kind of person I want to submit to. You know, sometimes you meet people and they might be good people. <laughs> but really, sometimes I think to myself, 
I would not want this person to be my pastor. And I think people mustn't feel like they forced to submit to you because you're the pastor. They must want to because because you're a respectable person. You have a good reputation. We must remember as Paul opens that serving in the church, leading the church is an honorable task. Here are a few summary statements quickly. Who you are is more important than what you can do. What you preach and teach is more important than how you preach and teach it. The church is about people, not buildings. And so we should be approachable as leaders. So I'd like to close this morning just by reading verses 4 to 16. Here Paul gives the reason why he's writing and he closes with a hymn. These verses again just remind us that the church belongs to God and the gospel is about Jesus Christ. I hope to come to you soon but I'm I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God a pillar and foundation of the truth it's an honorable thing to be in leadership but the church belongs to God verse, verse 16 great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness speaking about Jesus he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit seen by angels proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world and taken up in glory the church belongs to God and the gospel is about Jesus Christ so what kind of a person are you this morning are you the kind of person who's qualified to lead and serve in the church who you are is more important than what you can do thank you for your time this morning anyone like to close us out in prayer We hope that you enjoyed this message. If it encouraged you, please share it with a friend. If you or someone you know is interested in studying at UPI, visit our website at www.upi.ac.za or find us on social media at Union Bible Institute.